So welcome to the class I now pronounce you husband and wife. And you probably are like, what is that class about? Well, actually the original title was Striking the Original Match. And then it got changed to that. So I don't know what you came for, but you're gonna get something. That's, we're gonna rock the rolls a little bit here, okay? I don't know what role you feel like a woman should play in your, in your marriage or what role a husband should play, but we're gonna rock your roles today. How does that sound? Does it, has anyone here, has everyone married first of all? Raise your hand. Yeah, I figured that. Okay, awesome. How many people are, have been married for under five years? Oh, okay, how about five to 10 years? 10 to 15 years? 15 to 20? 20. 20 to 25? 25 to 30. Yeah, okay. So anyway, welcome here. I hope that you enjoy this. All right. Oh, what, 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 how many years? That's awesome. Praise God. That's awesome. All right. Well, obviously you're here for a marriage class, and we're going to give you a marriage class. And my name is Karen O'May, and I am from Northern Virginia. I've been a disciple for 34 years and married for 27 years. I have three grown daughters. And, uh, you know, when, when I think about roles in marriage, I actually read this book several years ago, and it really helped me because there was, I was going through some role confusion. I don't know if anyone's ever felt that. Um, it, especially if you're a working woman. Anybody here a working woman? Okay, most of you. Okay, you go to work, right? Your husband goes to work. You come home. Why do I have to be the one to make dinner? Can you explain that to me? Like, I don't get it. Um, really, I'm the one that has to clean the shower in the back? Like, what? why is that my job? Because I work too. And you work and I work and then I have to do all the house stuff too. Like, hello? Like, it just doesn't make sense sometimes, right? So sometimes as working women, we can get a little bit I don't know, competitive, a little um, disgruntled with our job as, as women, as wives, as mothers. At, are, is everybody in here a mom or want to be a mom? Yeah, that can make things even harder because then you take on some more duties, right? Um, so it can lead sometimes to something that's almost close to resentment. And I have felt that in my marriage. There are times I'm like, why do I have to do that? And why don't you do this? And that's not a healthy thing. That's not a healthy relationship. When I was first married, we tried to kind of figure out our roles. We were both working. Um, it was clear to me that he was much better at finances, so that's kind of the role he took on. But a lot of women are stronger, and so they take it on, and that's awesome, right? Um, my husband actually thought that he was supposed to tell me everything about how he wanted the house decorated. And <laughs> after a while, I was like, I think he would probably want it decorated like, uh, you know, like a teenage boy or something, everything like burgundy and dark, dark blue and football and all that. And he would have these opinions like, I, don't, I think that vase would look better there. And, and there are a couple of times I was like, honey, can you just leave that to me? Can that be my job, please? And eventually, it took a long time, but eventually he got it. He's like, okay, I'll give that one to you. Um, but do you ever feel that sometimes? Like you kind of switch back and forth roles. Like, I think that's, mm, that's my job. Mm, that's my job. But I think a lot of these jobs and our roles can also be determined by society. Yeah. And we're going to go back 
a couple of a couple of decades, okay? To a time that most of us are not aware of. Some of us were living, some of us have experienced the repercussions of this time, but it's called the 1950s, okay? And I'm actually going to, to read you a quote from a book from 1955. It's The Good Housewife's Guide, and the article is How to Look After Your Husband. Are you guys ready for it? Yeah. Are you sure? All right. Number one, have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal on time. This is a way of letting him know that you have been thinking about him and are concerned about him, his needs. Most men are hungry when they come home, and the prospects of a good meal are part of the warm welcome needed. Number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you will be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. He has just been with a lot of work-weary people. Be a little gay and a little more interesting. His boring day may need a lift. Wow. You ready for more? <laughs> I read this to my husband. He's like, don't make them hate men. I'm like, that's not my goal, honey. Number three, prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash the children's hands and faces. Comb their hair, and if necessary, change their clothes. They are little treasures, and he would like to see them playing their part. Mm. Number four. Do you see my fake smile? Yeah. <laughs> Minimize all noise. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all noise of washer, dryer, dishwasher, or vacuum. Try to encourage the children to be quiet. Greet him with a warm smile and be glad to see him. So, how does that make you feel when you hear that? Wow, flashbacks? Like PTSD stuff we're talking? Yeah. When you hear that, I'm like so grateful that we don't live in that time. But the, the sad thing is that sometimes good, good people look back and think that was God's plan for marriage. And guess what? And that was not God's plan for marriage. Um, that was not at all a partnership, right? It was not at all a respecting and loving one another, the way the Bible talks about. And then after that whole little generation of like leave it to beaver and stuff like that, we had the, the basically the, the women's live movement. You know, I am woman, hear me roar. We've come a long way, baby, right? And we have come a long way, haven't we? Um, some things really needed to change. But do you ever wonder if perhaps things have changed sometimes a little too much in the other direction? And the way I can see that in society is I see a lot of role-less marriages, right? There's a lot of competition. There's even a lot of de demeaning of men. Um, if, you, if you think about s such things like The Simpsons, for instance, think about the father and Homer, and he's just, an, he's pretty much an idiot, right? The mom is, is the smart one, and he's just an idiot. Um, even, even going back to elementary, you know, preschool, the Berenstein Bears, you read that book, those books, every single book, the father is in the background going, duh, I don't know what's going on, and the mom is like the one that is in tune with the, with the real world, right? And I think 
I don't know. I think there can be some of that, right? We, we, we're, it's like we're allowed because we're the minority or we're the, you know, the ones who have been oppressed. We're allowed to kind of do that now. We can kind of like make fun of men and it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's not really godly either, you know? And sometimes the idea of role sharing or is, is repugnant even to some people when they hear things like, yeah, the woman belongs in the kitchen. And I mean, I hate hearing that kind of stuff. Um, but then at the same time, the other extreme, no distinctions. We lose our, our identity and our God-given purpose, our God-given role. Um, God did make women and men different. And that's why it says God created them male and female. Interesting, he didn't just say he just created them. He's created us male and female. I don't know about you, but I love to be a woman. I'm so thankful for that. We have a lot of gender confusion in our society today, and we have people picking and choosing what they want to be and what they want to be seen like and switch back and forth because you can be gender fluid. You can be whatever you want to be. I'm just grateful that God created me to be a woman, and that's what I want to be. I want to be God's woman. I don't want to be a 50s woman. I don't want to be a woman's lib person. I just want to be God's woman, whoever God wants me to be. And um, where do we find the perfect model of this man and woman in this marriage? Where do we find that in the Bible? Anybody? Do we see a perfect example? Was it ever perfect? No. Actually, yes, it was. When was it perfect? See if you can... Adam and Eve. That It was perfect then. It was. The Garden of Eden was the perfect place. A perfect match and actually it was the perfect balance of the roles at that very moment in Genesis 2 18 can someone read that I'm gonna try to have a little participation can someone just turn to Genesis 2 18 and read that out loud don't be shy all right thank you No worries. Then the Lord God says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it says, I'll make him uh, a helper, right? Fit for him or suitable to him. When I think about it, you know, I like matchmaking. I love it. I'd actually, there are probably like seven to eight couples that are married today because I like set them up on dates. So I'm like, I haven't been doing so well the last 10 years though. So I've been really off, but I used to be good at this. But I love when I see like, oh, they go so well together. Oh, you just go to bed, get a, together like peanut butter and jelly. Or you just see these couples, you're like, oh, what? Are, like I look at Aisha and Aaron, and I'm like, oh, what? They're so cute together. They love each other. And there's no greater mar- marriage match than Adam and Eve because actually Eve was created exactly for Adam. Perfect complement, right? Um, my husband and I used to say, sing this song as a joke. Because you know the song, You are so beautiful. We used to be always saying, You are so suitable to me. Like, right. You know what I mean? Because it's kind of like the way it is, right? But here in Genesis 2.18, it refers to Eve as a helper. Now, when I hear that word, helper, I think of it as like assistant or like, I don't know, like somebody just kind of does stuff for you. But in this particular case, the word comes from the word ezer, which means it's the word that's used of God when he delivered his people. 
from slavery. It's the, the word used for God when he comes upon a scene and saves the day. It's the help that comes from a great power source, right? That's what the helper is. That, that's pretty empowering to me as a, as a woman, as a wife, knowing that that's God, who God is, and that's who I can be for my husband, a helper, that kind of helper. Um, that kind of power is a tremendous power, right? It can be used for good, and it can be used for evil, right? And we see, eventually, Eve did use it to seduce, you know, her husband into sin. You know the, the movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding? You know, where she goes, that man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And that is so true. That's how it was in my family. Like, my dad was like, I'm the head of the family, but I knew my mom is the one who did it. You know what I mean? Like, quietly they talk, and yeah. She'd always kind of get, get her way. But in a lot of ways, women do have the power. We have so much power, and I don't, want, I don't want to say power, what's the word? Influence. We have so much influence over our husbands, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later. Um, but I think the idea of this class is to think about not, you know, in Jerry Maguire, I'm referring movie, to movies here, where it says, you complete me. That kind of makes you feel like if you don't have somebody, you're incomplete, so I don't like that, but you compliment me. Don't you like that? I like that a lot better. We're meant to complement one another. And, you know, there are a lot of couples that have different gifts, right? We work with a lot of couples who happen to have the men in the relationship who are more emotional than the women. Raise your hand if that's you. Anybody? There are some. Most of the time it's the other way around, right? We work with some people who the men really like to cook and they're the ones who cook at home. Raise your hand if you have that. Wouldn't that be nice? My dad was like that. Or, like, in my my relationship with my husband, I tend to be, like, a little bit more competitive and, like, driven in, at times. And that, that's more like a man thing. I mean, basically, all women have a little testosterone in them, right? Um, and all men have a little estrogen, right? My husband cries more than I do. So I think we have to be careful stereotyping roles, right? So much of it is figuring out who you are together and how you best complement one another. There's no set package. There's not one size fits all for every marriage. It's a matter of working together out of respect. In fact, I was just at my hotel and I was getting a coffee and the woman who was serving me, I was saying, yeah, I need coffee to wake up because I'm about to teach a class. And I said, tell me, are you married? She said, uh, I have been married twice. And I said, well, if I'm doing a class on roles in marriage, what advice would you give me? She's like, you got to respect each other. You got to respect each other. And I was like, actually, that's really true. You just got to have that mutual respect and love. Um, I see Paul in the Bible is referred to like a mother, right? Feeding and caring for, his, for children. He also was like a father. He had those both characteristics, right? Encouraging, comforting, urging. And God relates to us as both a male and a female. Um, so all of I, the reason I'm saying that is just there's no particular, the woman is this, the man is that, right? But it's working together, and we all have qualities that are of many different kinds, you know. 
some people are a little bit more masculine in one area, then that's okay. I think that causes a lot of the gender confusion in the world when we don't realize that we're a mixture of a lot of things inside. But primarily, there are basic things that God created women for and God created men for. And that's where Aisha's going to come and share. Come on, Aisha. Go, girl. Well, hello, good afternoon slash evening. Um, thank you for coming to our class. My name is Aisha Jackson, and I've been a disciple for 17 years. I'm also in Northern Virginia. I've been married for 12 years. We have two daughters, seven and five, and we are loving life and we're living life. I was raised in Arlington, Virginia, so I'm a Northern Virginian. You know, not a lot of originals around because it's such a transient place, but I love it there. Uh, I was raised by a single mother and, um, you know, she didn't get any help or any assistance from my father financially, emotionally, or in any kind of way. But the good thing is that my mother's very highly educated and she always had a very stable job and she provided a financially stable environment. Um, since I grew up with a single mom, I didn't have a good example of a healthy marriage and I also had the perception that career was first because it was over family as she was often away traveling or just working long hours really trying to advance her career to provide more stability so you know i came into you know my marriage as a young married with a certain perception with certain baggage with certain expectations and you know my husband and i when we were first married we both worked full-time and at the time we were hired full-time for campus ministry so you know, campus ministry without, you didn't have any kids at the time, and you know, you're out late, you know, Bible talk started at 10 p.m., you know, we got home at like 1 a.m., and you know, it was really wonderful, and it was really fun, and I'm, in the same way, like Karen, I'm very type A, I'm very ambitious, I'm very driven, I love to be challenged, I love to work hard, and, um, and so, you know, there, we took marriage dynamics, which I would recommend, is a great thing to do, and Marcia was our teacher, her and her husband, and you know, my husband sits me down and he has a conversation with me about family commitment. I'm like, huh? <laughs> and how that was a need of his that he felt was not being met. And I was like, uh, what? And we didn't have kids, so I just thought, oh, that doesn't apply to us. But wow. he was very open about his need to be together for dinner and spend time together instead of running, 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 running. And this surprised me, this shocked me. I was completely out of touch with the idea of that or even didn't feel like I had a need for it but we started having dinner together every night we had a set time and I struggled I mean it's not that I didn't want to be with my husband but I wanted to work I felt torn I felt drawn to do something else and so even though I agreed to it I, I felt torn inside and so fast forward a few years we have our first child and you know, um, children changes things, as a lot of you, I'm sure, know. And some, you know, hopefully, if God's willing, you'll find out if He blesses you in that way. And, you know, after my maternity leave, I really struggled with whether or not I should go back full time or I should just kind of drop down to part time. And, you know, I wrestled over it for a while. And then I went back in and I went back full time. And I soon felt stressed out by just stressed and stretched by all of the expectations that I put on myself because I wanted to continue to maintain a certain level of just my personality and so I really had to dig deep and think about like what am I doing and why am I doing it and I, I realized I remember back to even when we were young marrieds and we we're talking about family commitment and I realized you know I feel as though I have to be this certain person as a mom because that's the only thing I've really seen and really going back to the scriptures and saying, okay, what is my role? Like, who has God called me to be? And what opportunities has God presented me with in order to be able to do that? 
And so I was able to understand that, you know, my mother did the best that she could because she didn't have a choice. She had to work. She had to work full time. She had to provide for her children. And there was nobody else to rely on. There was nobody else to depend on. So she did what she had to do. That wasn't my situation. I was able to have a husband who was willing to support me and we could afford for me to go part-time. We didn't have to, I didn't have to work full-time and I was blessed to be in a career that my kids were with me and we weren't separated. I didn't have to send them somewhere. And so God really used all of these things to help me to see, okay, this is where the spirit is leading me. This is how God is leading me to live my life. And so I did actually decide to take, you know, go part-time and it was so relieving because I felt like I'm listening to God. And, you know, I'm definitely not down on women working full time and being mothers and things like that, but I think sometimes we don't pause or we feel like we can't pause. We just gotta go with the flow. We have to go with whatever it is. And sometimes we're out of touch what is driving us. And that was a time where I was forced to stop and think and pause and decide who I wanted to be and who I wanted my family to be moving forward. And you know, especially with having children, I mean, the stakes are very high. And I'm like, who's going to teach them to love God? That That's something God has called me to, that I get the privilege to do that. And to be able to, for my daughter to be on campus with me every day. <laughs> she was in Bible studies with me. And, you know, like, such an amazing privilege. And, you know, I know a lot of women really feel this pressure and yeah. this yeah. dilemma. And so just a couple of quotes. I got a lot of my information from this book. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's good. Uh, but one of the things uh, that was said in there says, when strapped for time, busy women push friends, housework, husbands, and sex life to, back spur to the back burner. And um, but things that women won't let go of is a job outside of the home and their kids, you know, and that's something we feel. And another thing is said is the most stressed out and time pressed woman of all, according to a report that was done in USA Today, was a woman working full time with one young child at home. Um, and you just, you just feel that stretch. So we need guidelines and we need coaches to make the right choices so that even though we have so many good things that we could be doing, we don't choose the wrong things at the wrong time because they really do clamor for our attention. So you may think that this is a new dilemma. It's not. Actually, in the Roman Empire, there was something called as the new Roman woman. And these women were throwing off all of the traditional restraints that had them bound. The home had become only one option among many options. They had new opportunities for education and financial independence. And, you know, it sounds a lot like what we've already described from the 50s to the 60s. You know, a whole new world has opened up and a new awakening. And sometimes it's just too many good things that we don't even know what to choose from. Um, so we're ultimately going to go to the Bible to find out, you know, what are our guidelines? And I'm going to talk about the wife's core role. So when I say role, I don't mean like all of the things that we need to do in our marriage. A role basically is something that should prioritize our commitments and our use of energy and time. It also provides us a template to evaluate our opportunities and it also provides security. When you know why you do what you do, you're more stable. So unfortunately, we treat our core roles as options amidst many options rather than biblical absolutes. And so... That's what we're going to talk about. Our first core role as a wife is to be submissive to our first love and forever husband, Jesus. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 to look at, you know, what does this role entail? Come on, Alicia. Thank you. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So in the same way as what? Well, we'd have to look previously and see, well, what is, what is he talking about? 
So we're going to look in 1 Peter chapter 2 and read verses 22 and 23. Starting in verse 22, it says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We are to submit to our husbands in the same way as Jesus submitted himself to dying on the cross. Now, hopefully submitting to your husband doesn't always feel like, oh, I'm dying on a cross, you know, every day. <laughs> but there will be times, if you're doing it right, that it will feel sacrificial. Because submission is not submission if it's something that you already want to do. It's, it's not submission. So recall Jesus' attitude, though, as he submitted to the cross. It says he had no sin, no deceit, no retaliation, no threats. He trusted God to bring about his justice. And striving to be a godly wife is a big deal and it's a noble undertaking. And it's something that we get to do as women who love God and also love our husbands. You know, in baptism, we know that spiritually speaking, we participate in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When we take communion, we remember Jesus. We remember his sacrifice. But have you ever thought, by being a godly wife, I am being just like Jesus when he died on the cross? That's how significant what I'm doing is. Our motivation for being a disciple is the cross. And so is our motivation for being a godly wife. So our first core role as a wife is to be submissive to our first love, our forever husband, Jesus Christ himself. So for the next two roles, we're actually going to turn to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 3 through 5. So Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It says here, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So Titus was written during that time we talked about of the new Roman woman. Yeah. And Paul, a single man, thinks it's important to instruct Timothy, another single man, on how to teach the older women so that they in turn can teach the younger women. The way that these women are being instructed is to live was counter-cultural. And in order to do this, they needed biblical guidelines and they needed coaches. And just like them, we need biblical guidelines. And we need the sound, the sound of a wise woman that can counsel us, that is older, that can help us discern between real opportunities or vain pursuits and keep us from making decisions that we will regret later. If we choose to take these roles lightly or exchange them for seemingly more important roles, we malign the word of God. And the Greek word here used for malign is blasphemio, and it means to blaspheme or to be evil spoken of. This scripture gives us a lot of things that we can learn to grow in in order to be better wives and that the older women can teach us as coaches. We can learn to love our husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to our husbands. And although there's a lot of things listed here in this passage, we're only going to focus on two. And one of them is loving our husbands and the other one is being busy at home. 
So our first core role is to be submissive to Jesus, and our second one is to love our husbands. I'm not going to go into too much detail about this because Karen basically said everything we needed to know. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, which I had all of what she said about Ezer and the helper. But the one thing I will say in this particular point is, you know, just do you believe that God has specifically chosen you to defend your husband? Like you're the first line of defense against Satan's schemes. And, you know, my husband and I, I love being around my husband. We are like best friends. We're total opposites in a lot of ways. And, I mean, got good discipling. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, I mean, so many times that was said to us. And to work together, you know. But I love being with him. And we get to do everything together. We work together. We raise the kids together. We're pretty much inseparable. We don't like to be separate. So I really do get to see his struggles and his battles on a daily basis. I see his work and how it affects him and at home or with me and you know it's good for me to see the battle because I'm reminded oh wow I need to pray for my husband every day I need to be that place where he can come and feel secure and I can help him get closer to Jesus like that's why I'm here <laughs> you know I'm here to help him get to heaven and it helps me to have a great healthy perspective of what the purpose of our marriages is and how it can glorify God and I mean I just want to encourage you to really think about how can I be a great line of defense for my husband against okay. Satan. So that's all I'm going to say with that point. The third one is um, for our role is to be busy at home. And I kind of like this particular thing. So it's taken from Titus 2, as we said. And the word that's used for busy, it means keeper of the home. And so, you know, um, I'm not going to talk about practicals of how to keep a home and decorating and cleanliness. And although I love things like that, actually, my husband is the decorator. I'm not good with colors. I can't match things. I don't know what goes where, but I like to keep a clean house. So I do that part. I'm like, you can decorate it. I'll just maintain it, you know. Um, and he's great at it. He's amazing. He's very artistic. And that's totally his gift. So, I mean, which is kind of funny, which we, we figure that out. That's his thing. And let him do that. Um, but what I will talk about is, um, you know, I don't know that how you feel about making a home or if you look at that task and you look at it with contempt, but consider that Jesus and God want to make a home with us. Amen. And that's actually found in John chapter 14 and verse 23. So this helps me with the whole idea of homemaking. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 23 says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. You know, for some of us, the idea of home doesn't elicit, you know, warm, fuzzy, pleasant feelings. And I used to be one of those persons. And um, that's why I struggled with family commitment. Really, at the end of the day is, you know, the idea of family, the idea of home, it wasn't a comforting thought. And so I ran away from that. But as I've dealt with my hangups and my issues about home, it's really helped me to see home in a completely different light and in a completely different perspective. And home is a place where we go and we feel safe and we can be our worst selves and be loved. As wives, we get to be like Jesus and God and we get to make a home for our husbands. And if Jesus and God aren't beneath making a home and it's something that they want to do with us, then it must be something significant. It must be something important, which is that's why it's our third core role is to be busy at home. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you notice that every core role had to do with Jesus. And that's because Jesus is everything. Yep. It is him we proclaim, especially in our marriage. Thanks. Awesome. I really appreciate that, Aisha. You have an awesome heart. Um, 
What I want to talk about now is our husbands, our husbands' core needs. Um, how can we not, how can we be great wives if we don't consider our husbands? If you think about it, you know, love starts at home. You know, love is the most important commandment, isn't it? You know, and yet we tend to treat the ones that we're close to the worst. Um, we're nicer to strangers. We're nicer to our guests than we are to our husbands at times. And I'm I'm a culprit. I mean, I've, I've been one of those women who make faces with my husband, and people have had to talk to me about that. Like, I, I haven't been the best example through my marriage, and I've really been working on it, on really how to, to show my husband love and support. Does anyone else struggle with that sometimes? Okay. Phew. Okay. So I checked these four core needs with my husband. I said, I just want to make sure that you agree with these. And he totally agreed. So I was like, okay, good. I hope that most of our men will feel that. The first uh, core need that our husband has is for admiration. You know, um, we all know the fairy tale Snow White and the wicked queen is looking in the mirror saying, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of us all? What was she looking for? Validation, right? And men, men have a mirror, and the two reflections that they see are about work and about wife. <laughs> Those are their, the two. That's where they get their identity, their sense of worth, their sense of meaning. And both reflect back to him strong messages about his core value, right? And in this case, I believe the wife is the key because you think about work. Some men get too sick to work. Um, eventually, if, if, if our husbands live long enough to retire, they will retire. They won't have work anymore. So when that's gone, where are we? Are we there to show them admiration? We can't just wait until our husband doesn't feel great about his job or he doesn't have a job. But the admiration needs to be there all the time, um, no matter how we feel at different times, right? In Ephesians 5, I love Ephesians 5, but it talks about how it says, women respect your husbands and husbands love your wives, right? And it's not that we shouldn't love our husbands and that we don't need respect from our husbands, right? But God knew our core needs. He, he knows. He knows us more than we know ourselves, right? And he knows that our husband's love language is respect, is admiration. Do you admire your husband? Does he feel that from you? Do you, do you just think, wow, you're awesome. You know, even when you don't always feel it, do you show it? Do you make an, an effort to see his positive qualities? I used to make lists when we were first married of all the negative things about my husband. Um, every once in a while, I'd find it, and I'd find a list, and I'd be like, oops, I hope he doesn't see it, and I'd throw it out. Or to, That was how bad I was. Now I make lists of his positive things, you know, because it's really important for us to remember, we see everything, right? We see the worst in them. Therefore, we need to bring out the best in them, right, by our admiration. The second core need that our husbands have is support. And in Proverbs 31, uh, verses 10 through 12, it says, A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Listen to this. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Are we supporting our husbands? Are we supporting them publicly even? Um, 
I, like I said earlier, I used to make a lot of faces publicly, and I shamed my husband in, in so many ways. In Proverbs 12, 4, it says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is as rottenness is his bones. Mm. I mean, and I think I made my husband's bones rotten, you know? I think of the story, I'm sorry? Proverbs 12, verse 4. Um, I think we all know the story of Esther about the Queen Vashti yeah. and how she was asked to, to dance mm -hmm. before the king and his friends. And what did she do? She refused. Mm -hmm. That didn't go so well for her, did it? Yeah. Not that that's going to happen to us, but at the same time, you see, he was looking for affirmation. He was looking for support. He was looking for that publicly even. And he was the most shamed because she shamed him in front of everybody, yeah. right? Are we looking for opportunities to praise our husbands when we're with others? Like, my husband's really good at that. Or does he catch us complaining about him, just our friends? I mean, think about that. Do we complain more to our buddies about our husbands or do we praise our husbands more? The third need that our husbands have is for companionship. And, you know, we, we read it earlier in Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. You know what's interesting? There's nowhere in the Bible that it says it's not good for women to be alone. Right? <laughs> right? right. That, don't, don't be prideful about that, but sometimes I go, I, I think we could do it with that. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but <sighs> it's not. Um, this is kind of sad, but my husband's dad left his family when, he, when my husband was only five, right? He, he was alone, and he eventually, you know, aged and got sick, and he, has he had Alzheimer's, and he was dying. And even before that time, whenever he'd come over for, like, a holiday, he'd always have, like, stuff on his clothes, like stains, and he'd always have, like, hair sticking out his nose. Or, you know what I'm saying? He was a very good-looking man, very distinguished. But all I ever thought was... Darn, he just needs a woman, you know? Like, he, he should have just stayed. Because he needed that. And especially as he was dying, he was alone and he didn't have that companionship. Yeah. Our men need our companionship. I mean, today I saw a couple of hairs on my husband's ear and I was like, I'm sorry, honey, I haven't been doing a good job trimming you. You know? But you, And he's like, honey, that's okay. That's not your job. I'm like, but I really want to take care of you. You know, like, we just want to look out for our husbands, right? Um, and they, you know what, even if we say sometimes that we're the ones who are like all for getting time together, do you, does anyone here feel like you're always trying to push getting time together with your husband? All right. I, a lot of times it's the woman. I see some people shaking their heads. I got to a point where I started getting real independent and not really wanting to hang out my, with my husband. And guess what? He missed me. And he would be like, honey, when are we going to spend time together? I was like, really? So they really have it. That's really a need they have. They want to be close to us. Even if it feels like we're the ones to try it. So I'm like, no, don't try it. I was, uh, never mind. That's not a good idea. Don't try to be independent and pretend you don't care about him and see what he does because that would not be good. But it, I mean, it does reveal that, that basic heart in them. They want to be close to us. They show it maybe in different ways at times, right? And the fourth, but not, you know, not the least important is physical responsiveness. And I'm not just saying physical, okay, I'll do it tonight, baby, if yeah. you want it, but I'm not really into it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, as our marriages get more, you know, 
get longer, um, there sometimes our desire can kind of diminish. Um, there are times I've talked in groups of women, maybe even at work or wherever, who've said, we could totally do without sex, that that would be fine. And there have been times I'm like, yeah, that would be totally fine with me too. Not all the time, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and we sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes we think, man, it's, they're just all about that. And again, not everybody's the same. Some women have stronger sex drives than their husbands, and that's okay too, and, right? You've got to adjust. But in a lot of ways, we think of men as like, they're just men, they just want it all the time, and that's, it's all about sex for them. Actually, it's not all about sex for them. It's all about being close to you. And that's our man's way of expressing his love and closeness to you. And when we not just say, okay, I'll do it. Or, but when we act, actually show him that we want to be with him and even express we, that, that we enjoy it, that means the world to our man. Um, I think, I know I can be very selfish. And I, I actually heard this in a marriage class here at one point. The way that you are with your husband when it comes to sex is the way you are with God. Is so true. Like, how am I selfish in my time? Do I really pour my heart out to my? Am I vulnerable with my God? Am I sacrificial with my God? Am I willing and to say whatever you want me to do, God, I will do for you? That is exactly the way I am with my husband when it comes to sex. You know what? You're the only woman that he can lust for, and be attracted to, and be turned on by. And are you giving him everything? Are you holding or are you, are you holding back? Yeah, are you, I think this is an important one. And I'm telling you because I personally struggle with this one, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it's being taped and I'm really embarrassed right now. Mm -hmm. But I know for a fact that our men need us to, to not just be with them, but to show them that we love them and we want to be with them. Yeah. And, and that makes them feel awesome. Yes. And it makes them feel close to us. Yeah. And I think... You know, those are the basic four, need, four core needs of men. My husband agreed, maybe go home and check with your husband and ask him mm -hmm. if those are his needs. And work on those with him. My husband and I have already talked about how we're going to talk about this class together and we're going to work on these things together. And even today I was like, honey, you're such a great driver. Wow, what a great parking job. And he's like, honey, you're just saying that because you're about to teach class. I'm like, yeah, kind of. But I'm going to really work on it, like sincerely. So. <laughs> wow, amazing. So I just want to give you all, you know, a few practicals um, that you can put into practice or think about. Um, Karen already, already gave us one, you know, go home, talk to your husband. Hey, what are the needs that you see or that you feel that I could, you know, do a better job meeting? I think um, it'd be great to just get back to your first love. I know it's hard for me to be a great wife when I'm not a great disciple. I just... I'm selfish, I'm a sinner, I, it's not me in any way. So, you know, just check in with God and get that motivation from God. And then another idea might be to just study out some of these passages that we referenced about husbands and wives and our role and what God's original intent, you know, intent was always and how the world has unfortunately just completely just distorted that. It might be good to just look at some scriptures. 
If you have marriage dynamics in your church or any marriage class, I would highly recommend doing that. That's always helped Aaron and I. If we felt we were in a slump or we were stuck, I was like, yeah, sign up for a class. We need the accountability. We need to do the homework. We need to make it a focus. That's always helped us to just kind of get re-energized and just really move forward in our marriage. You can, um, I would highly recommend praying about and finding a coach and being very intentional about this. Uh, I know for us, one of the families in our church, we were able to interact with their daughters when we were helping in the teens and we just totally were like, wow, they have girls. We wanna be like them. And so we prayed about it and we asked them, you know, would you get with us once a month to talk specifically about our marriage and our parenting? And they're like, let's see your kids. Let's see you around your kids. Let's come to a family night. Let's look at family game night, discipling on the spot. And it was just like, woo, yes, you know, like, it's just amazing, but you know what? I, I had to be very intentional about it and say, we're looking for a commitment. What can you commit to? If you can't do it, it's okay to say no. And we're willing to move on because we really need this, we really want this, and this is a priority for us. And we just know with our busyness, it just it slips to the side and we need help. So I would recommend that. Another thing I would say is serve together. I mean, what are your kingdom dreams as a married couple? Our kingdom dream for Aaron and I, since we were 19, 18, 19, 20 years old, he wants to be an elder. I want to embody the Proverbs 31 woman. We've known this for a lot of years now, and that is our goal. That's what we're focused on. That's why we raise our children the way we do, because that's our kingdom dream. We want to serve together as a family. I mean, that helps your marriage because you have to work together. It exposes a lot about where you're at with God and how you can be better as a couple. And then another last practical is make a list of the qualities that you do admire in your husband. That'll help your heart and share those with him. So hopefully this class has been helpful and I think that's it. So thank you. Can I stop this?